Welcome back to another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we speak about critical issues in the blindness community. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Aaron Richmond, and this episode, like all others, is copywritten by me, Aaron Richmond, and Aaron's Opinion. Thank you. This episode can be found almost anywhere you get a podcast. You guys really enjoy listening to me on iTunes, or some of you enjoy watching us on YouTube. Either way, you can listen or watch um, this podcast in a lot of different places. All right. Um, and uh, we are joined by someone today who I have met um, after I recorded Haven, um, which you guys really like that on YouTube. We were speaking to a man by the name of Ron, I believe, who is the uh, president of Haven. He suggested that I speak with another blind person who's a lawyer, licensed in Oklahoma, originally from Texas by the name of James Blaise. He joins us now. We're really glad to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? Hey, Aaron. Thanks so much for inviting me to come on your podcast, and I'm thank doing you. well. Thank you. I'm, I, no, thank you. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. So, well, um, why don't you, you know, if you want, you can talk about, you know, blindness. Maybe if you were born blind, you can say you were born blind, or if you became blind later, you can tell us about that. Or you can dig into what you want to do in the legal field, or just take this conversation anywhere it goes and just go follow the flow of the conversation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I know that you asked a lot of guests about how they became blind. So my story is uh, I lost my sight as a child. I had a condition called bilateral retinoblastoma. Um, I lost my left eye, excuse me, my uh, right eye when I was three and my left eye when I was four. Oh my God. And I've been blind since. Okay, so basically you've been blind your whole life. Yes, sir, that's correct. When when it, when when it all comes down to it, you've been blind your whole, you know, when you're three or four, your memory and your you aren't really, you know, your personality is not fully developed at that age, so it's not like you would notice necessarily those those things. Um, okay, well, that is interesting. Now, um, maybe talk about some of the experiences you had that led led up to you going to law school, and then how you got into the legal field. Well, the reason I chose to pursue a, a path into the legal field is because I read a book, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which I'm sure most people are familiar with. Actually, the, fun, the funny story about that book is that was one of the few books that I actually liked, along with Kite Runner. But that's, an, <laughs> but that's another go. story. That's an, that was one of the few books that when you're in high school, you actually love it. It's, it's a great book. Really? Is. Well, I read it in the summer after fourth grade. Um, really? Really? Yes, sir. Really? Mm -hmm. It's not really for children. Why no, you, it's not. Why did you read it then? I'm just curious. I had I had this fascination when I was a child that I wanted to read as many classics as possible to try to understand more about culture, but also try to be able to have conversations with other people other than right. those of my age. And I heard a lot about To Kill a Mockingbird, and so I decided to read it. And what really struck me about that book was not necessarily what most people focus on, which is uh, this racial archetypes and so forth. It was the idea that you have a man who chooses to represent someone who he's not supposed to represent. He's not the most affluent attorney. He's not the most known. Uh, he's, he's just a person who wants to make a difference. And what struck a chord with me was that that could be me. The fact that in order to be able to be a successful lawyer, whichever field you choose to be in, it doesn't matter if you're the tallest person, the coolest person, the wealthiest person. 
What matters is your dedication to your client, your willingness to represent them, your legal acumen, and the effort that you put into your representation of that person. And so it made me realize that there's a field out there that I could pursue that, no matter my circumstances, whether it was physical or otherwise, that I could make a difference. And so ever since, I've decided, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to try to get there someday. Magnificent response. Absolutely magnificent. Yeah, your speaking skills are perfect. 10 and 10, 10, 10 and 10. Um, wow. Um, yeah, well, oh yeah, which, which reminds me. By, by the way, as a podcast host, I can be very sarcastic and very uh, entertaining with great, with great guests, which reminds me that you have a podcast too, The Weekly Wit, right? Yes, sir, I do. I see. So, but, um, but anyway, we'll talk about that later. I'm sure that I would love to guest on The Weekly Wit. I always, by the way, I always invite myself to guest on other people's podcasts just to save you the time and energy of inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only fair. I, come, I came on here so you can come on there for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not really giving you a choice in the matter. I mean, you have a small, a small margin of choice, but in the, in the end, it's a win-win, getting, you know, and it's a it, win-win. And that's really uh, what yeah. I love. And that's really what I love of what really fascinates me about creating content is that overall, it's a positive experience for me. It's a, it's a way for both of us to win. And every, mm -hmm. everybody's a winner in podcast creation. There's no real, there's no real loser. Well, James, a little bit more about me. My name is Aaron Richmond, currently living in an undisclosed location. I'll tell you about that one after the recording. Um, but I reminds I, me Mark Levin, by the way. <laughs> ah, we can talk about that off the air. I, yes, sir. I'll yes, give sir. you an I'll give you an episode that I recorded yesterday about something about that neighborhood. It, yes, right. that's that's refreshing. Well. Um, my, you know, Aaron, my name is Aaron Richmond. My academic background is in the field of international relations. That's my bachelor's. But, you know, I'm someone who has always been interested in, in the legal system. And I've always loved to talk about law and philosophy with people. And it's always fascinated me, too. Um, I was actually encouraged when I was younger to pursue law. But, you know, I didn't really have I just didn't have the, the energy and didn't really have the didn't really have the desire to go through all of that, but I am someone who is certainly willing to give out legal opinions and philosophical <laughs> analysis of the of the mess and uh, the mess of society that we've managed to get ourselves into. Um, but um, I, I will I will tell you that I'm someone who's very very fascinated by by law. Um, and then it's really important. I think a lot of blind people are turned on to practicing law because you know, it involves a lot of talking, which is something that a lot of blind people are able to do, and it involves a lot of listening. So I think it, it in many ways, the legal field, depending on what you do, can be, uh, you know, a very, very productive thing in your life, depending on, well, if you're good at it, and if you really want to do it. So let's really narrow it down. Um, so specifically, what branches of law do you hope to get into? And what do you really want to, to practice in? I would love as to be a... Yeah. I would, I would love to be a trial litigator. I really love being in front of a judge and a jury and being part of a trial setting. Mm -hmm. And you actually kind of narrowed it down with what you were saying. Part of what appeals to me in that setting, which is interesting that most attorneys don't feel comfortable being in a courtroom, is because whenever you're presenting a case, your job is to remove yourself from the case itself. And you're representing the person who hired you. So when you're talking to the jury, when you're talking to a judge, 
you aren't having to talk about yourself, your situation, you're having to talk about the facts. And it makes it possible to have a conversation with them. And I think that's something that comes easy to me that I want to be able to have that chance to advocate for somebody. And one thing that most people don't realize is that a lot of attorneys, when you're in law school, here's a little peek behind the curtain, as I say, um, you're taught a lot to look at facial reactions, body language. You're able to determine a lot of how people are in a trial based on how they sit, based on how they're looking at you. But the truth is that blind people have an advantage because most people have learned how to fake a smile, how to smile normal, you know, how to sit real stiff, how to sit back and relax. Yet most people don't know how to change their voice naturally. Most people react and answer to a question how they would without thinking about it. And that tells you a lot. If you learn how to listen really well in the sense of being able to understand. You are so, you are so right. You are so right. You are so right. I think if anything, I hope that this episode gets you some clients because your analysis on that is just it's an absolutely magnificent. Another perfect, perfect, perfect. You're so right. All you really have to do is listen to how someone talks to be able to tell if they're clearly lying or if they're clearly telling the truth. But it's and, a lot harder to hide it too, because you, like you and I, Right. We, we had to master the fact of how, knowing our tone and what it means. Most people in general, sighted, blind or otherwise, when they get in a situation when they're nervous or uncomfortable, it is really difficult for them to hide it, whether they get really quiet or they get really agitated or whatever they choose to do, but it comes natural. And so it's so easy if you're a defense attorney and you're doing direct and you know that you're the person who's in the stand is really nervous, you can talk them down and be like, look, we're just having a conversation. I'm just going to ask you some questions. If you're doing cross, you can tell somebody's getting really irritated or agitated and you just follow the line of questioning. So it's a tool that's really important. But here's the other part too. And this is what I learned from one of my mentors. A jury typically doesn't want to be there. Let's face it. You don't get paid a lot of money. It's a place you don't want to be. But most of all, Virtually all attorneys are equal in the sense that you walk in with a nice suit and your pair of shoes and a nice, you know, comb, you're like the way your hair is styled. However, the attorney to make a difference is based on what they say. If you can tell a story that captivates them, if you can share the facts in a way that makes them understand that they're not just there to listen, they're going to be bored out of their mind and engage them then it makes it possible for you to have a chance of being successful. And that's something that I've always done. The only way I can really talk to people. Yeah, I can do hand gestures and I can, you know, I know how to relate to people. However, I can talk as long as I want to, because that's what I'm used to doing. And most people are not. So <laughs> plus let's face it. If the jury has their head down and sleeping, I can't tell. So to me, they're just as engaged as anybody else. Cause I can't tell if they're frowning, smiling or otherwise. I'm just going to assume they're interested. It can be. And I'm going to keep going. So. Right, and it's right, and it's 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 not it's not your problem if they fall asleep. That's that's the judge, the the bailiff or judge exactly. should mm -hmm. alert them to to pay attention. But that you're you're a hundred percent correct. Everything, everything you've said is just you just nailed it. I mean, this is this is exactly the type of lawyer that I would want to hire. Not that I need one. <laughs> but, Darn. <laughs> but. <laughs> but but I, I will tell you, um, I will share with you something that happened. I, 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 we're we're going to, I guarantee you, we're going to have a lot of conversations offline about different things that I've been through, different things that have happened. Um, I look forward to it. Uh, 
Well, good. Good. Because once you, because the truth is, once you come onto my podcasting community, it's kind of hard to get out. I, I didn't really tell you that, you see. <laughs> you're you're kind of trapped in my podcast vortex, I... I guess. But but really, um, you're, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. So can you talk to me in, in history about, and I'm sure there was a case where a, a blind attorney um, did a really good job either prosecuting someone or defending someone. In other words, where there was a really good blind prosecutor that put someone away for 25 to life or a really great blind defense attorney who saved someone who was actually innocent or even better, a great blind attorney who got someone off the hook who was terribly guilty. Any well, ideas about you, that? Yeah. I don't know about historically, but I can tell you that one of my mentors, uh, his name is Ed Abel. Uh, he's an attorney out of Oklahoma. He's retired now. But one of the brilliant things that he would do is exactly what I described. I learned that from him. The fact that so uh, one of the cases that he's most famously, famously known for is that um, there is a expert witness who was testifying for the prosecutor. And this guy had credentials as long as the day it is. And he would just go on and on about his credentials and how great he was and you know, how qualified he was. And one simple question he asked unraveled the whole case. And he simply said, okay, there's no doubt that you're qualified as an expert witness. You're great at your field, but let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that the attorney for X, Y, and Z paid you to come testify about this? And he said, yes. That very simple question made the jury go, wait a second. Yeah, he's, he's qualified, but this guy's getting paid for what he's saying. Obviously, he has to tell the truth, but how much validity could there be to what he's saying, he's getting paid for by one side. He's not just objective. And so that ended up uh, getting one of the biggest settlements uh, in Oklahoma history, actually, at the time. Obviously, this was 20, 30 years ago. But just one simple question that you can't think of, he just asked so subtly, and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm getting paid. So um, <laughs> I learned that from him. That and it's really, you know, in, in these, these types of legal things and th- things that happen in courtrooms, you know, I mean, I personally, I'm someone who loves courtrooms. Um, and I'm fascinated because people, people, you know, to put it, to put it bluntly right to your heart, by the way, this podcast is explicit. People say some crazy shit in the courtroom. People say some really, <laughs> people really say some disturbingly shocking things that you would never, that you would never actually say outside in a public place you know people say crazy crazy stuff in a courtroom just like that or even the scariest part of that story isn't the fact that 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 witness you know was paid to testify and all that the scariest part is that he said yes and that he actually admitted it out loud that he was well, he had, really concerning the yeah. thing is he was under oath so he had no choice yeah, well, like but the, the other choice himself. well the other choice is lie under oath that happens too True, but then you'd be in contempt of court. <laughs> well, yes, you would, but y- yes, I understand. Yes, you're. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But what I'm saying is, pe- people have done that. People have yes, lied under sure. oath and have done. I will say this damage. though: the the truth though is that a lot of people do not go to trial. It's a misnomer. I, we call it the law and order misnomer. Mm-hmm. Most people think that every case goes to trial. That's not actually not remote, true. Not remotely true. We don't have enough no. time in the year for that. Yeah, exactly. Not only that, but most people, as my one of my professors in law school taught me, most people do not get the Perry Mason moment, meaning 
you're not asking questions and out of the blue the guy goes you know what you're right i killed that guy i'm guilty just charge me with whatever i'm guilty of and let's move on that never happened it's rarely ever to somebody just are you able to ask such clever questions that they go you know what you got me i'm done so you have to learn the, the differences between the reality of a trial in actual uh, real life and the ones on TV or movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because they're so different. And it was a shock for me because when I first did a mock trial, I'm like, wait a second, we don't have a big audience or it's like people aren't going to go <gasps> or, you know, something like that whenever something big happens or so. But you're right, for sure. People sometimes forget their environment and we'll say some uh, interesting stuff. Well, we can talk about that with the, off the air as well. So. If you like, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it really is. It really is amazing. So, um, really, really fascinating. Well, okay. Um, what would be? I mean, it's kind of a weird question, but if you could, you know, if you could, if you could represent someone, or I guess my question is like, what, what is your dream case? I mean, people don't really have a dream case, but do you have, or have you heard about any legal cases in general that are going on around the country right now that you say, gee, I kind of wish I was representing that person, or I kind of wish I was in the courtroom. Do you have any of those types of cases that you would wish to participate in, I guess? This is a roundabout answer, but I actually would love to represent anybody who most people think either, either guilty or is uh, supposed to be guilty. The reason being is, Right. I love representing somebody who is the underdog. And I want to answer your previous question uh, a little bit late too. My other field of law is legislative law that I would love to practice. And the reason being is because law is like policy. There's supposed to be no emotion. And what you choose to do as a lawyer is not going to be reflectant on your own personal views. It's going to be based on the representation of that client. So I would love to represent somebody who most people doubt their innocence or their guilt and be able to be that attorney that brings the facts and is able to overcome those odds because the greatest feeling in the world is not an easy victory. The, the best feeling in the world is being able to work your butt off, being able to gather the facts, being able to understand a case and being able to paint that picture that makes it possible for that person to get off. So I would love to be able to have the opportunity opportunity to serve as an advocate for those people specifically who either lack representation or the ones who most people question for one reason or another, but once they get the facts of a case, they're able to understand what's really happened and why a certain verdict should be issued. Um, and it's, it's, that's going to sound weird, but it, to me, a case Not is a like a, it's like a chess game. Not exactly. And not at all. Ironically, one of my father's friends is a criminal defense lawyer. Um, and he has told us, uh, like you, he's quite a character. He says, says a lot of, <laughs> a lot of hilarious stuff, <laughs> utterly hilarious person like you. And he's, he said this, and this is very true. If you're a criminal defense lawyer, you always prefer to defend someone who actually did commit the crime. You prefer to defend someone who is guilty because it's a lot easier to come up with an excuse why they committed the crime than to prove that they're innocent. Of, of, of yeah. the, it's a lot, it's yeah. a lot easier to say that, yeah, well, they might've, you know, stolen that thing or they might, or the other big common problem these days in America is they, they might've sold drugs or dope, but 
here's a good reason why they needed to do it. It's a lot easier to say that than it is to come up with a reason for, well, I know in my heart that they sold drugs, but um, well, they're really- keep in, mind, yeah. keep in mind that also the biggest challenges that attorneys face now is the evolving demographic of the country and the evolving political opinions of people. Because every part of the country, you're gonna present a case differently. How you present a case in New York uh, it's going to be way different than it is from the South, uh, based on the client, based on the offense, based on the case itself. And so that plays a factor in it too, is that you're not sure, going to sure. I mean, I, do it no, I mean, way. right. And every, every state has different laws. Yes, I get that. But the, the, the process should be very similar because our country has very similar laws from state to state, and it should be quite similar. The experience should be similar from courtroom to courtroom, whether it's in New York or Oklahoma. Yes, the delivery would be a little bit different. The laws are different there. Yes, no question. But the, the, in the end, the process should be very, almost the same or very similar. Mm -hmm. Well, and also the, the jury that you choose is going to be very different based on where you're trying that case. Because the, again, the makeup of the jury is going to impact the verdict and people feel differently throughout the country. So you're definitely going to want to choose a jury that's going to be as hopefully as beneficial you, to your client as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of tricky. I think for a lot of, I mean, I, I understand that, that part of the logic. Uh, it's quite odd, but it is true that you have to pick just the right jury. Mm -hmm. So like in, in, in law school, is that like, um, like a three hour lecture about juries or is that a whole week? No, actually, uh, so law school, the way it works is most law schools, and they differ based on the names of the, the schools, but the law schools, they pretty much have a certain number of classes that each person's required to take. You know, you learn civil procedure, you learn criminal law, you learn torts, property, contracts, uh, and so forth. However, after your second year of law school, most people get to choose which classes they take. And so when criminal law, you base in criminal procedure, you learn the basics of a jury. You, you understand what voir is whenever they choose a jury and how long it takes and so forth. But you really don't get in depth. Now, if you choose to pursue it further and take a class like trial practice or mock trial, or if you do moot court or something like that, you learn a lot more in depth. For instance, trial practice at my law school, one of the tasks that we have to do is we actually had to have a trial and you were assigned a fictitious case. You were have a co-counsel and you have a jury and you have opposing counsel. You were presenting the facts. You have to submit evidence into the judge. You have to present your case. You have to address the jury. And so you learn more in depth. So most people learn the basics in law school and they can pursue some of the, some further or, or if they do a internship or externship at a specific firm or place to learn more about it. But most attorneys don't really go in depth into what it takes to get a jury or to create a jury um, unless they choose to do so. I see. Yeah. And, and to clarify, for some of our international listeners, which Aaron's opinion is available all over the world, I've, I've had listeners that I don't even know, the secret people who listen to me in Singapore and Russia. And you're talking to people in Russia, Singapore. I haven't looked at the chart in a while, but Turkey wow. even. I mean, you're talking all over the world. So to clarify a very, very important point that we as Americans just kind of kind of passed over is that a, a jury, as far as I'm concerned, please correct if I'm wrong, but a jury can be used even in a civil case. A, a jury is not, is not needed, is not a requirement, a 
juries can be a juries yes, can be used in in other cases outside of criminal proceedings is what i'm saying you Correct. can have juries for other situations is what i meant yes and also the the a number of people who are in a jury differ based on the type of case that you have and also in the state that you're in some states for instance allow you to have a jury of six some people some states allow you to have a jury of 12. so every state differs based on the jurisdiction for criminal law and for civil law for civil cases it's not required to have a jury really most civil cases are actually bench trials in other words is decided by a judge but if there's a large monetary uh award at stakes typically a jury will be attached to the case uh to make it more impartial but it's not guaranteed nor is it required necessarily for civil cases to have a jury right it all depends it all depends on the on the on the case at hand the Correct. state and overall, the best answer is for people who are not as familiar with the legalese. It it, it just depends on 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 the on the case on the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've right. been to. Um, I was in the audience of a case. Um, it's a bit of a long story. Well, any any case is a little bit of a long story, else it wouldn't be a case. But to make a long <laughs> story longer, we had in in my state, whatever it is, we had a a blind woman who was fired. By the way, this is a true story, and and it already happened. So, um, she was, she was, uh, she was fired, um, or released, um. For, she was fired from her job uh, at the county where she worked. Uh, because there was some long story where, you know, the county changed the software on their computer. She couldn't use the computer software. She complained, obviously. They said, we're going to fire you. She said it had to be accessible. That one of those types of things. And in the end, in that case, they needed a jury for that case. And I remember going, sitting in the audience and watching them on jury selection. So it really depends on the case. So yeah, you can have a jury for a civil, you know, administrative trial too, in, in my state at least. Yeah. Yeah, and keep in mind that a lot of times the rule of thumb is if it's a case, if it's a civil case and there's a large amount of money at stake, there's going to be a jury. If it's not, it's really just going to depend on the seriousness of the case. If it's just going to be something simple like uh, I'm, I, I want to sue my brother for stealing my car and taking it away, then they're not going to want a jury for that. But if I sue the empire of uh, Aaron Richmond, and uh, his giant podcast empire. Yeah, they're going to want to uh, uh, jury for that one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there, is a, there are a lot of, um, and, you know, entertainment law is, is pretty fascinating, too, actually. Mm -hmm. That is for sure. And there's a lot of skeleton in those trials. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's definitely true. And there's, there's, it, there, a lot of fields are so fascinating because they're so distinct. And that's why... I want to be as diverse as possible when it comes to sure. practicing. I, I, I don't want to just settle in, in one field so just because so there's so much out there. Um, and, and let's face it, there's so many different avenues to pursue and there's so many different people that need representation and need an advocate. And it's not all just criminal law or civil law, you know, there's immigration law, there's social security, there, there's just so much mm -hmm. out there that mm -hmm. it's important to, to not pigeonhole yourself because the more diverse you are, the more knowledgeable you are, I, I think the better lawyer you are going to become. Definitely. What about, now, what about special education law? 
I mean, that's so important. What do you think about that? It is. Uh, the, the problem that we have right now, and this falls into the, uh, uh, a bit of a pigeonhole right now, is that a lot is based on ADA law. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of changes made depending on uh, the comprise of, of how Congress is made up in the upcoming year. Uh, there's been a lot of rumblings about changes that are going to be made to the ADA as well to special education laws. So uh, it's going to really depend, the changes that are made going to depend on who's in office. But what I'll say this is this, that the biggest disadvantage that we have right now is a lot of the laws are state-based and the services and the benefits the students are able to receive depend on the individual states. And it makes it difficult for students to receive the same kind of services or the same type of benefits around the country. Yes, that is that is true. And there, so there, there's no direct line to, for all students to be, and don't get me wrong, every case is different, but it makes it difficult because if one st state is having financial issues and they cut certain programs, then some special ed students are gonna be affected. In other states, they might have a, a surplus and more money gets, is made available to school districts. So they're able to benefit from it. And unfortunately, a lot of parents who serve as the advocates for students with disabilities, especially or students who are in special ed, um, are stuck with trying to figure out a way to, to help their, their children. Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, well, you, you'll be very interested to know about my, I'll send you more information about my history and some okay. of the experience I've had in my life. But yes, you're, you're absolutely right. That is, that is a very, a very problematic issue where, you know, parents try to sometimes try to move, but oftentimes can't. So then you're, you know, kind of stuck, you're oftentimes trapped in a, in this system that we need strong lawyers uh, like you to be able to, to be an advocate for these uh, oftentimes children or families or, you know, it's, it's really, it's really, really critical. Yeah. Well, and not and, much emphasis is placed into it. Keep in mind, we oftentimes when, even during election years, let's say, a lot of emphasis is paid on criminal reform. There's a lot talked about uh, statutory reform. There's a lot talk about taxes, but not, oftentimes there's not a lot of talk about disability law or special education or laws that affect, and I have to say this, it's a bit of a pet peeve to me now as a lawyer, but also as an individual with a disability. There seems to be a misnomer that people with disabilities are limited to just being blind or, or being deaf or uh, just the, the one, the disabilities are most known by people. People with disabilities are so diverse in the disabilities they have and how laws affect them, that unfortunately not enough people advocate for them. For instance, if you were to put together all the people in the United States alone who have a disability, whereas sight related or hearing related or is a uh, learning disability or some type of other disability, it, it would be a lot larger than most people would expect. Unfortunately, because 
they are not known or most disabilities are not known by the public, they're kind of lost in a shuffle. And so part of what I want to do, uh, part of my practice will be focusing on disability law, primarily because I want to be able to try to help as wide a group as possible, even if it's just through education, by, by letting people know what's available out there, because there's a lot of resources that they could legally get that they're not aware of just because, well, most politicians don't bother. Yeah, you're on. That's exactly that's exactly the problem. All of that. So, right now, how are you spending your time these days? Uh, right now, I am sending out resumes left and right. So, by the way, if anybody wants to hire me, please do. <laughs> um, so, if out, someone so if someone wants to hire you, how how do they get in touch with you? So, you can send me an email. It's really easy. It's just my name, James dot Blaze, which is B L A I S E at gmail dot com. Um, so that's my email. Anybody's welcome to send me an email, whether it's for a job or any other questions they might have. Um, but to answer your question, I've been working on a podcast. I've been applying for jobs and I've been preparing for the eventuality that I might have to uh, open my own practice. And if that turns out to be the case, well, then I'll try to make the best of it. But I definitely, I'm doing everything I can to make it possible for me to become an advocate because that's, that's what I can't wait to do. When I pass the bar, a uh, quick story here. It took me four times to pass the bar. Uh, it was a daunting task. It cost a lot of money. It took a lot of time. Uh, many questioned my sanity uh, because it took that many times. But I kept doing it because I knew in the end that what I was supposed to do, what I was meant to do is to be a lawyer. And now that I'm a licensed attorney, I know that the road is going to be challenging and it has been already. But my goal is to just find that opportunity that will allow me to get to the next step and hopefully be able to practice soon because the goal is become a lawyer, practice, be an advocate, and yes, in the end, I would love to run for office someday. Oh, really? So what, what position, what office do you want to run for? I would love to be in the Senate, uh, the United States Senate, if, if I got that chance. Um, the House would be fine too, but the Senate would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you should probably practice um, by running in, in the state. You should probably get into the Texas State Senate. Yeah, right now, because I, so I've moved around a little bit. So I did my undergraduate at the University of Texas, but then I, I went to law school in Oklahoma and lived there. And obviously right now I'm not sure where I'm going to be living. So uh, it's kind of difficult to, to start setting up any community ties. But once I do start practicing wherever that is, then I'm definitely going to try to my best to try to establish myself in that community and eventually run for state office and then go from there. But you know, the end goal, whether it's a, a lawyer or a politician, the goal is the same. Your goal is to be that person that allows others to be represented through you, but also to, to allow people to understand that it's not all about fame or glory or whatever. Yes, it's great to make a good living. Don't get me wrong. However, I think the most rewarding experience of all is having that chance to know that you made a meaningful impact that's going to be long lasting. And, you know, I'll tell you this, Aaron, the biggest, the biggest accomplishment in my life to this point is anytime I hear from anybody, Hey, I heard your story and it helped me 
it motivated me to want to do this more, or it made me realize that I can do this, or made me realize that I wanted to do that. And to me, that's more rewarding than even becoming a lawyer, because I know that what I do is very unorthodox, but if I can pave the road for anybody else to do whatever they want in whatever profession they choose to pursue, then I did my job. Perfect. Yeah, and that's what's so amazing about being a podcaster is that I'm able to give you and many people from all over the world the chance to come to me and tell their story and to be able to promote what they do and to be able to give you the chance to tell, yeah, to tell to tell your story and to be able to truly help people. And that's something that Aaron's opinion that I'm, I'm working on being able to do that, to be able to truly help blind people all over the world is something that I definitely want to do too. So podcasting also is a great way to help others. De definitely. For depending on, for sure. on, on, and by the on way, what you do. Yes. Let me compliment you on one thing. You do a great job. I, I think the biggest hurdle to some hosts is mm -hmm. that they like to share more about themselves than allow their guests to talk. And I think in this interview alone and others, what people can see on YouTube and your podcast, you did a great job of uh, asking a question and then just letting the, the person answer and, and just I having agree. that conversation. Well, I agree. You know what? And anytime someone says something that kind to me, th thank you from the bottom of my heart. So thank you. I've had to practice that. So it's a skill that you have to practice. You have to practice not talking and listening, which when you're a podcaster and it's your show, it's actually really hard. <laughs> it's really tricky to not interrupt you have to know just when to do it i i'm not perfect at it but i'm glad you, i'm glad you approve of it <laughs> i'm glad you're a supporter thank you thank you so that's much that's for sure no and thank it, you it's something you have to practice as a lawyer as a podcaster you have to practice mm -hmm. when to talk and talk and talk and then when to listen and then the other trick is so then when do you start talking again after you've been listening that's the other trick it's very hard to tell so i don't do it perfectly but i i appreciate the kindness and I'm glad you approve of it. <laughs> don't forget, don't forget to type up, type up your review now on iTunes and make sure people know that I, that I pause a lot to let the guests. Listen. <laughs> there you go. We're going to add Aaron to pause there to your, to your title now. Um, but no, the yeah, I think it's a great thing. Cause you and I having a conversation, we could have the exact same conversation in a pub, for our friends in Europe, is the one to relate to that, a restaurant and a cafe, whatever. And it's not that pressure situation where you're having to go, oh my God, what am I going to answer? Or what are you going to say? Or why is he getting this? Or it's just us having a conversation like we would have if you were just sitting across from me, having a beer, or just sitting around and shooting a breeze. And I think that makes it so much easier to, to have that. Um, I mean, my podcast, I haven't, I haven't had any guests yet, partly because I wanted to establish myself, but- That's because, that's because Aaron's opinion is his first guest, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I wanted to wait just for you, Aaron. You got it. Oh, God, man. My well, secret's it, out. <laughs> the, 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 the truth, I have unfolded the truth. The truth. Break news. Okay, great. Fantastic. So I finally, finally got to the bottom of this. That Really? You mean to tell me that the only reason you wanted to talk to me was to make sure that I can come to your podcast? Well, that's great. You, yep. <laughs> the truth is finally out. <laughs> I see. Well, James, you're, you're very kind. Um, let me say, I mean, I think that, that this is a critically important episode for blind people and anyone because you're just really you've you've got everything um your responses to my questions were perfect the way you conducted yourself in the interview was was perfect um and just the way that you go about talking to people it's it's really relatable 
um, you know, you know, for me. Um, I tell you what, I want to let me let me see what's going on here for a second, guys. Yeah, you know what? Um, I want you to don't 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 hang up yet. I'm going to tell you a couple more things. But right here, I want to basically wrap it up. Today, we've been speaking with James Blaze. Actually, truth be told, today I've been speaking with a lot of people, but James Blaine's, James Blaze's action-packed episode, if you ask me. Um, and we want to thank you, take this time to thank you for your kind words to me as a host. Greatly appreciate the compliment. Because some hosts get, you know, a lot of weird compliments or, or rude compliments, which is, you know, it's, it's part, part, part of the business. But when you said that about my, my, my ability that you noticed, I so kind of you. So we're really glad to have a successful lawyer here on this podcast and in my community. And I appreciate the fact that you're such a kind person. That's a value that, that has been instilled in me. And that's something that I look to if I'm hiring a lawyer or hiring anyone or not that I am, but if I was, I would think, well, James is really kind and he's really talented. I want to hire him. There you go. That's the episode about why hopefully well, hopefully you won't necessarily need James Blaze, but if you did, I can promise you that he's going to do a magnificent job. You've been listening to Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people, where we talk about critical issues um, in, in, in the blindness community. Um, and if you want to reach out to me via email, which none of you do, but if you did, you would email aaronsopinion6 at gmail.com. Also, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, you might even want to become a patron on my Patreon. I would appreciate the support. Guys, that was a great episode. I do have to get going. As I said, stay on the line. Don't move. And as we say on this podcast, stay safe uh, from all, all over the world. Stay safe, stay healthy. And as I say, my motto here on my podcast, help one person today, help one million people tomorrow. <laughs>